like. <laughs> Who knows? You need to blow your nose. <sighs> Maybe. You need to go rinse with a, with a neti pot. <laughs> neti pot. Yes. I know that once in my life, incredibly uncomfortable Oh, feeling. the neti pot is the best. No, I false, swear false, false, No, no, no. Oh, no unnatural. It is really of the devil. Welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story, even if one of us has a cold. I am or Joseph. Both of us. <laughs> yeah. I am Joseph Jarowski. And I'm Todd Mack. And we both have colds. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but this is one of our rare occurrences where we get to record in the same room and actually see each other. This week we're discussing several of the characters from The Great Cow Race, a story from the comic book series Bone. Bone was written and self-published by Jeff Smith. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. You can get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial if you go to www.audibletrial.com slash protagonist, where over 180,000 titles await you for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or your MP3 player. A little bit of trivia about this comic book series, Bone. If you are unfamiliar, it is a, well, it was a black and white. There are color versions out there. You can get your heads on. Uh, black and white comic book adventure. And Todd, how would you describe a bone creature? <laughs> So I was really, I was really surprised by this because I didn't know almost anything about Bone except that I'd seen like the cover of I think the big Bone, the big the one like, volume, one volume, and he's he looks like a doodle, like he's just a he has a great big nose and he's short, very few facial features. A lot of the emoting oh. is coming from a loose eyebrow, like it sketches yes, yes. off his eyes. These weird eyebrows and and just like black dots as eyes. And essentially no other features. Yeah. Except for a big nose, he's bald, and he's small, he doesn't wear any clothes. Uh-huh. And so I thought, when people talk about, like, Bone, and it's this great, like, Lord of the Rings sort of fantasy adventure, and I was like, I don't get it. Like, I don't know that I could read a whole entire series that's just this little bald guy with the big nose and the eyebrows. Um, what I didn't realize is that this is actually beautifully drawn, uh, and that the, all of the rest of it looks like, I want to say it looks like a, like a Prince Valiant kind of, like there's kind of that kind of vibe from it uh-huh. from when I was a kid and yeah. I would read the Prince Valiant things in the, in the newspaper, but it looks like, like a beautiful fantasy comic. Yeah. And it just has these three characters in it that look completely out of place because they look like little doodles. And they're interacting with normal humans. Yes. <laughs> And talking bugs that look like bugs, though. <laughs> There's the dragon. Yes. <laughs> but but all these other things, like you said, are rendered with a lot more detail than these three characters that are called Bones. One one is called Phone Bone, one's called Phony Bone, and one's called Smiley Bone. Yeah, which doesn't make it confusing at all when I do this long synopsis. <laughs> yes. We'll do, for simplicity, we'll call the main one uh, Phone Bone. We'll just call him Bone. Okay. And we'll call the other ones Phony Bone and Smiley Bone. Okay. I think it will help us as we go through this. The series was self-published by Jeff Smith, mostly. Issues 1 through 19, he did himself. And then a comic book company called Image Comics uh, published issues 20 through 28. And then he again self-published issues 29 through 55. And all 55 issues have been collected into a massive 1,300-page book called Bone, the One Volume, which has um, all of 
um, all of those issues together. Uh, we mentioned that in uh, an episode a little while ago when we did comic book recommendations. We mentioned both the one volume. Yeah. And special guest Todd Peterson had said it's really fun to hand that book to a kid and say, here, read this. It's going to be a thousand-page book you can read. And after that, I did that to my seven-year-old daughter. And today she finished reading all of Bone, the one wow. volume. And she loves it. She said she's going to read it again. Is that like three weeks ago? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to say uh, we had some cousins visiting, my wife's cousins were visiting from Kansas, and they have a nine-year-old, and he saw that I had bone, like, sitting on my desk, and he goes, you have bone? And I said yes, and he goes, I love bone! (laughs) He he was very excited about it. Well, one reason why I think uh, elementary-age school kids will be very excited about this is that the entire series was um, republished in color by Scholastic, and it's featured prominently in a lot of those Scholastic flyers that go home to elementary school kids to uh, as book order forms. And because of that, and because it's always been, you know, for years it's been so prominently in there, I'm guessing that this is one of the most read comic books by elementary school-age children. In the, in the-, the color <laughs> is beautiful, I think. I think it looks really, really Oh, cool. so you read the color version? Yes. Okay, so I I done the black and white. I have the one volume of black and white. They've they've put out the color version in like trades. Uh Uh-huh. Um and there's I wanna say there's like six nine six or eight or nine of them. I think there's nine because in the one volume it says there's nine books within it. And, I'm and pretty sure is, it's so this is like six issues, I think. Watch some of yelling at the right now. It's ten. There are ten volumes. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't sorry. know for sure. I've read the entire series. It's really great. Uh, I, and I think uh, when I was looking up trivia, I saw on Wikipedia they had a quote from Time Magazine that said, "All of the epic scope of Lord of the Rings, but a lot funnier," <laughs> was was a quote about it. Uh, and I think that is pretty accurate. So the series um, it was published somewhat bi-monthly, but it got off schedule pretty regularly. It seems when I was looking it up, but it was between 1991 and 2004 that he was publishing these. Um, and then it wrapped up, though it was recently announced that he's going to be publishing a new Bone adventure called Bone Coda. <laughs> so did you read this as it was being produced? or I did not. I just kept hearing that it was good in like comic book websites and uh-huh. magazines. And when, they, when it was finished in 2004, it was shortly after that that they announced they'd be doing the one volume. And I ordered that because I'd heard okay. so much about it. And I read it. Uh, right away when I got it, it's a huge, it's a brick. <laughs> I mean, it's 1300 pages. Um, but it is, uh, it's good, uh, the whole way through, I would say. It, uh, the series won 10 Eisner Awards and 11 Harvey Awards. We've mentioned Eisner's before. Harvey's just another comic book award that's done by industry professionals. I don't know how my voice is going to sound on this recording to our audience, it's but like it sounds so noise. stuffy to me as I'm trying to talk right now about this trivia. But that is the end of my trivia on Bone. Well, why don't you take a break? Because <clears throat> you're going to do a log synopsis. I am, but before I do, I just remind our listeners that if they want to help out the show, they can go to protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon for all of their Amazon purchases. Uh, these It looks exactly like regular Amazon. It is regular Amazon. Uh, it just gives us a tiny kickback uh, for any purchases that you make there. And it doesn't cost you anything more. So uh, you can certainly go. Gr- go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say you can go grab the colored versions of Bone or the Bone the One Volume. Yes. Um, and uh, real quick, short synopsis, I guess, is the 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 thing about this series is uh, you open up with these three bone creatures that we said look kind of like doodles, and they get lost, and then they're stuck in this world where there's no other bones, and they just want to get back to Boneville, but they have crazy adventures in the meantime amongst the normal humans and other creatures that they, they encounter. They start off in this like desert. Because they've been run out of Boneville. Because they got run out of Boneville. And then they <laughs> and then they end up in this beautiful valley. Where, where winter comes quickly. Yeah. 
<laughs> I love that. I love, I love how quickly winter comes. Okay. All right. So Todd is now going to give us a full synopsis of the Great Cow Race, which is the second volume. If you're going like volume by volume, this is like the second collection of issues. So you, we've kind of missed the start of uh, the series of them getting run out of Boneville, and they're now in this valley. Okay. This is a very strange story. <laughs> I feel so like good. I end up saying that a lot at the beginning of my long synopses, but this is a very strange story, so buckle up. I'll do my best. Phone Bone and his friend Thorn, and Thorn is this, uh, she's a pretty, like, young, would we say adolescent? I'd say in her teens, probably. Yeah, adolescent girl. Uh, they're visiting a fair. It's clear that Bone, Phone Bone, really likes Thorn, uh, but she doesn't share his feelings. Uh, she wants to buy some honey. I mean, he like likes her. <laughs> he, he has little hearts over his head sometimes. Him, but he like likes her. He has little hearts all, all around him, yeah, every time he sees her. Uh, she wants to buy some honey, so she goes to a honey stand run by this hunk with a, with a, he, without his shirt on. Uh, and he and Bone get in an argument. Uh, Thorn sends Bone to the woods saying she, he's being childish. Meanwhile, Smiley Bone and Phony Bone, Phone Bone's cousins, have come up with a scheme to rig the betting on the great cow race at the fair. As they talk, Phony asks Smiley if he has seen any big monsters in the forest. Smiley responds that he isn't sure since he has a hard time distinguishing reality from fantasy. <laughs> Uh, Smiley is very, like... Oh, okay, here, real quick. I remember reading in a... It was a book about comics, and I read a lot of them, so I cannot remember which one <laughs> this was. I want to say it was written by Ron Goulart. But, uh, he, talking about Bone... Ron Blart Mall Cop? No, Goulart. G-O-U-L-A-R-T. Oh. <laughs> he, uh... He said that, uh, the, the characters in Bone are kind of, like, platonic ideals of the comedic trios that we often see. So, Phone Bone is, like, Mickey Mouse, and Phony Bone is, like, Donald Duck, and Smiley Bone is, like, Goofy. Uh, oh, but yeah. you, uh, you can you can do that same trio for a lot of different comedic groups that we see. Interesting. I like that. Uh, so now Phone Bone emerges from the forest with a giant piece of honeycomb that he wants to give to Thorn, but he finds that she's in the company of the shirtless honey hunk. Uh, Phone then finds Phony and Smiley, and Smiley is now dressed like a like a mystery cow. So he's dressed in a cow suit <laughs> that he made himself with a mask. <laughs> That he made himself, yes, and he has a mask and a cape. Like, like a superhero mask yes. over, the, over his eyes. Uh, Phone expresses disapproval at Phony's shenanigans, since the whole reason they were kicked out of Boneville, their hometown, was because of his shady business deals. Uh, Smiley reminds them that Phony served bad, bad prunes, this is one of my favorite lines, Phone served bad prunes at a town picnic and, quote, gave the whole town the fast track sallies, close quote. <laughs> I think I'm go. I really hope that I can just uh, adopt the term "fast track sallies" into my everyday vernacular. Because, well, I hope you don't need to use it. I mean, every I don't have to use it every day. But my goodness, what a great term! Fast track sallies. Uh, phony storms off in a huff. Now it is night, and Thorn has a dream in which she is a child. A hooded woman leaves her in the company of a giant red dragon. He tells Thorn to get in a cave where there are other dragons. Thorn wakes up and tells Bone to get his map. So Bone has a map that he found. Yeah, when they were being run out of uh, Boneville in the desert, they found a map right before a swarm of locusts overtook them and they got separated. Yes. Uh, Thorn wakes up and tells Bone to get his map. Thorn tells Bone that she had had the this, this same recurring dream as a child, but it had gone away until he had shown her the map again. So when I was a little girl, I had this dream, and it was this recurring dream in which I'm in a cave with the dragons. 
the dream went away, but now that I've seen this map, the dream has started coming back. Uh, she thinks that Grandma Ben knows something, something about it. Grandma Ben is her grandmother. She also believes that she herself drew the map when she was being held, held captive by the dragons. Bone wants to tell Grandma Ben. Thorn uh, says to wait until after the cow race. The next morning, Grandma Ben is feeling depressed because nobody is betting on her. You see, Phony's plan is to spread rumors that Grandma is too old to win and to seed confidence in his mystery cow, who is really Smiley Bone dressed like a cow. Uh, everyone will place their bets on the mystery cow, and when Grandma Bone wins the race, Phony and Smiley will make a fortune. Okay, can I just say, this, this, race, this race is very strange. I love this, that it's just, in this world, you have these bone creatures that run into humans, and it just is. And you have a talking insect named Ted, who talks about his big brother, and it's a giant insect, like, the size of a human, that's just <laughs> his big brother. But Ted's a normal size insect. Yeah. And there's these things that you just go with, because... That's how it's presented. Like, and this cow race is one of those things where it's Grandma Ben and a herd of cows, and Grandma Ben wins against the herd of cows every year. That's that's the race. She's So she's on foot. She's on foot running. Racing yeah. against a herd of cows that are also racing. That all have their numbers on them, yes. It's so strange. <laughs> this is very strange. Uh, so everyone will place their bets on, on this mystery cow, and when Grandma Bone wins the... Grandma Ben wins the race, Phony and Smiley will make a fortune. Lucius, the bar owner who really like likes Grandma Ben. <laughs> I think so, yes. <laughs> and I love Lucius. His the way he's drawn, he's yeah. he's like hunched back forward because he's got his back is so muscled, he's like hunched forward he all the time. Huge, like burly. And arms. he's he's got squinty eyes. <laughs> he's it's just a great uh character that was drawn by just a uh, so Lucius, who like likes Grandma Ben, uh, challenges the notion of a mystery cow, and the townsmen demand that Phony Bone show the cow to them. Meanwhile, and they've all already placed bets on yes. the mystery cow. Just they're, for the they're rumors, betting, they're betting in in kind, right? So yeah. they're betting like eggs because they have no money in this valley. livestock. Yes. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, Thorn is looking for the super hot uh, shirtless honey seller at the fair. I think you called him a honey hunk earlier, and I think yes, you should keep that. The honey hunk. She's looking for the honey hunk. And Phonebone had asked her if if she wanted to spend the day at the fair with him, but she told him no, that she was going to spend it with Tom, the honey hunk. Uh, but apparently, she finds out that Tom is already showing another beautiful girl the fair. Tom has a scheme in place, it seems. He yes. just goes from fair to fair, <laughs> offering honey. So Thorn is really sad, and she goes off to find Bone who is in the forest feeling sorry for himself, his friend Ted the Bug tells him to write a love poem for Thorn. He decides to do it. Just uh, then, Ted the Bug is, again, just a little bug that talks. a tiny bug that talks to him. <laughs> uh, just then, a couple of giant rat creatures show up. They have been tasked by their master, King Doc, to kill Bone. One of them wants to eat him raw. The other wants to bake him into a quiche. They kidnap Phone Bone. I love the rat creatures. Some of this makes more sense if you read the first volume, but some of it doesn't. You just gotta go with it no matter what. You just gotta go with it. There's two rat creatures that are always trying to catch up, and one of them always wants a quiche. Yes. Uh, Phony now takes the townsman. The townsman had challenged him and said, we want to see this mystery cow. So he takes them to see the mystery cow, but uh, who is in this like stable. But before they go inside, Smiley is inside, and he makes this huge racket, and they all get very He's scared. like making a hammer, Yeah, and Phony's like, it's too dangerous. He can't even go in. Yep, so they all go away scared and convinced that this cow is going to win the race. Uh, and then Thorn is continuing to look for Bone in the forest. Just as the cow race is about to start, Lucius shows up at Phony's booth and bets his entire tavern on Grandma Ben. 
So he's he's on to Phony's game. And, and, and this is such a greatly... The cartooning work in this sequence is so fantastic where Phony Bone's jaw drops, but it's like Looney Tunes dropping. Yeah. But the rest of the background is, again, this really tightly rendered, great, uh, realistic imagery. But you have Phony Bone, this goofy doodle-looking character whose jaw drops to the floor, and yeah. it just looks great. It's, it's really... I, lo- I love the art in this. Uh, so now... Now, if Grandma, if, if Grandma Ben wins, then Phony loses everything. Uh, so he runs to Smiley, who is in the mystery cow suit and ready to start the race. And he tells him now they have to win the race, so he jumps into the suit with Smiley, and then the, the race starts. So now they actually have to win the cow race, just to break even. Or even, like, I mean, I'm not... Yeah, so now there's, like, essentially... Everything they won, they'd have to give to Lucius. Yes. Because he bet the tavern. Uh, I guess either way, it seems like they're pretty much going to break even. <laughs> yeah. So at the same time, uh, the rat creatures are chasing Phone through the forest. So they captured him, but then he escapes from them, and they're chasing him through the forest. Uh, and now Phony and Smiley and Grandma and the cows are all running f- through the same forest. Uh, but Phony and Smiley get knocked off course, and they land right in the middle of a giant pack of rat creatures... The same rat creatures that have been chasing Phony all along, and we're not really sure why the rat creatures are yeah. chasing Phony, but they are. And they want the mode with the star, and they, no one knows why. Yeah, because he wears a he, he, wears he a shirt actually wears a shirt with, <laughs> with a star. star on it. Yes. And all we know is that the rat creatures are chasing the bone with the star on his chest, and so he falls into this big pack. And now they're running through the forest. The rat creatures are chasing them. You got the the quiche guy and the other rat creature. <laughs> they're chasing Phone. Uh, Grandma Ben is just racing, trying to beat all the cows. And there's an overhead shot of a forked path. Yes. <laughs> and they're coming down two different forks that are going to meet at one juncture. Uh, so, and now we see that there's this giant collision at the finish line. There's cows, bones, and rat creatures, but Grandma Ben wins the race. Uh, after the race, the townspeople uh, try to lynch Phony and Smiley, but Grandma Ben and Lucius rescue them. They agree to cover Phony's bets if he will split time working at the farm and the tavern. By now it's night, and the whole crew is walking through the dark forest. Uh, scary creatures and um, this dragon. And I, I guess I failed to mention in Volume 1, there's a dragon that protects Phone Bone from the rat creatures. And it's the same dragon that shows up in Thorn's Dream. Uh, Grandma Ben and Lucius know about this, but they but they let Pretend on. dragons they, they aren't pretend, real. They pretend that they don't. And the dragon's appearances are always great. Like, it just shows up in the background of the paddle. The eyes, (laughs) and he's got these kind of floppy ears with little tufts on the end. And Bone's the only one who notices him. Yes. (laughs) It's great. Uh, So so the dragon is kind of watching them from the shadows. There's also some scary creature that's looking at them, a hooded creature with claws. Um, Now we're kind of winding down. Lucius and Grandma Ben have a conversation about the bones. Uh, Grandma tells Lucius that she believes the bones are innocent, and that phone bone knows about the dragon, as does Thorn. So she's, she's, Phone Bone knows about the dragon, Thorn knows about the dragon, and I don't think these Bone guys are really bad. Even Phony Bone is, he's not really a bad guy, he's just, he is not bad guy, he is a bad guy. <laughs> Lucius asks her, mysteriously, if she has told Thorn the rest. The rest of what? We don't know. But there's some, like, bigger story about Thorn that we don't, we don't understand. She tells him, that she doesn't think it's time because Thorn has not gone through the turning again. We don't know what the turning is. Uh, there's plenty of opportunity for this story to go in. Say seven more volumes. Yes. <laughs> Just a rough estimate. 
as they all turn in for the night, Phonebone gets the first watch. He pulls out a piece of paper and writes a note to Thorn. It reads, Dear Thorn, I know that I am short, bald, and have a big nose, but I like you a lot. Signed, a secret admirer. <laughs> XXXOOO. <laughs> And he's he's riding this on his belly with his feet kicked up behind him, and he's got his hand leaning against his cheek as he's writing this note. (laughs) I know that I am short and bald. And And then there's there's a short epilogue where Lucius and Smiley are fixing a giant hole in the roof. Uh, Lucius is asking Smiley for help, but Smiley's just kind of goofing off. Then Lucius falls off the roof, and a contented Smiley says, It isn't Boneville, but it'll do. The end. The end. I don't know if that made any sense. So, Joseph, where do we go from here? Uh, let's just start by acknowledging one more time how amazing the art in this is. And it, it just does something interesting as a reader, I think, to have these, as you, as you kind of call it, simple doodle characters in the rest of this world and interacting. And I, I don't know how to describe what it does, but I like it. <laughs> yeah, it's charming. I think it's really charming. We were just looking, comparing the black and white version to the color version, and it really is a different experience. Yeah, I've never read the color version. I've only done the black and white. I'm kind of glad that I read the color version. I really like it. I'm, maybe that's... I don't know. What color is the dragon? He's, uh, He's red. red, yeah. The great red dragon? He's called red dragon. Yeah, no, 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 I just remember that. He looks like... I see it now. Those floppy ears. See him. Sometimes he looks more purpley. Uh, in the night, he looks purple. But, uh... But the bone characters are still just white, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, the, again, like... You I, get, like, you get a little blush on foam bone when he's around... <laughs> When he's around Thorn. And so not just like that that style, but then you get um, these odd blends of goofy comedy moments. Uh-huh. Like we were just commenting as we flipped through. There's a moment where uh, Phony Bone shoves a half-eaten pie into Phone Bone's mouth. <laughs> and Phone Bone's face like reshapes into a pie. Again, like think Looney Tunes. Yeah. But this is against the world where... Uh, like their grandma Ben is a normal human, and Rose is a normal human, and uh, or Thorn, uh, and they and um, you know, the force is a normal force, but in that force, you might have a dragon that's lurking in the background. Um, and the the dragon isn't like don't think like the carefully rendered where you see every single scale kind of dragon. Like this is still car- kind of like a, car- a cartoony dragon, a cartoony dragon. Uh, and so there's all these these blends of both that that. Um, art style and those goofy moments, but then there's like real drama that happens um, and real stakes that get developed throughout the series as to what's going to happen to this valley, um, how the rat creatures are going, you know, what what their plans are. So there's this this kind of everything's thrown in. And for me, it works. I understand how it might not for some people, but for me, it works. It seems to work for, it's critically acclaimed enough that I know it works for a lot of people. It's just a very unique kind of uh, story that's being told. Yeah, it almost reminds me of um, when we did, uh, when we read Magic Knight Ray Earth, uh-huh. and the, the little chibi, the little chibi characters, and it's almost like, in manga, if I'm remembering right, you'll have, like, panels of kind of, like, your traditional thing, and then a, and then a little uh, panel with uh, chibi, right? Yeah, it's like a cute, small version. Right. But here, it's like you've taken that cute little, cart- very cartoony thing and stuck it into the middle of this more, I want to say more realistic, but we're not talking like... Oh, it's a different rendering. It's for- not a, it's not, what's the guy's name? Quietly, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's, just a, it's a different, but I, I like it. I like the kind of, the mashup of those two, those two things. 
And I like, um, again, going back to that earlier comment, the, calling these three characters kind of like platonic ideals of uh-huh. these cartoon, um, you know, trio that we see, uh, pretty often. I think that's pretty good. Cause they're also abstract enough. They could be, <laughs> you know, that, that platonic ideal yeah, and everything yeah. else. Um, it, it's, it's a fun story. I, I, I mean, I think, uh, it's also, it's called an all ages comic. And sometimes that becomes like code word for child, you know, that this yeah. is carrying children. But when this one's called all ages, I really do think like anyone could pick this up and enjoy it. It yeah, is a great read. And it's one, I would love to see adapted. I've never seen, you know, I, I think periodically there's rumors of adaptations that are coming, uh-huh. but I could see it being adapted as a straight up animation with everything animated. I could see it being animated as, you know, the humans are human actors and, you know, the, the bones are CGI characters. I like see any Roger that, Rabbit. Yeah. I can see this going. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, even more than CGI, like traditional animated characters yeah. might make more sense for the bones. Yeah. I can see it going any number of directions, but it's, it's never come about yet. And some of it might be, how do you adapt these 55 issues that becomes a 1,300-page book into, what you know, do you have to do a movie? Yeah, because that, that would be, like, impossible. Who would ever... Yeah. <laughs> but if you take it as, like, uh, as a cohesive story throughout a series, like Avatar The Last Airbender or Legend of Korra, you could yeah. kind of break it that way, but you have to get the whole thing done. Yeah, you couldn't, you, it would be impossible to take this whole entire story. And make a two-hour movie. And make a two-hour film out of it. So you either have to do 20-minute episodes over a, over a few seasons, a la Avatar The Last Airbender or Legend of Korra. Or maybe a nine-hour miniseries. Or, yeah. yeah. Or, a, or like, or three films. A trilogy, yeah. If there's nine books, three books for each film. Yeah. I was gonna say, we're talking about this one volume of this because we, we're fr- frantically trying to read a bunch of other novels yeah. <laughs> that people have requested. Uh, but I think that this is, I think this, this story must be read as, as in its entirety. Yeah. All 55 issues. And when I, I mean, I went to the library and I just pulled out the volume, volume two, which is this one. And I read about three pages, and I thought, no, I need to go back and read volume one. <laughs> so I started at the beginning, read volume one, which made volume sense. Volume two make a lot more sense. Uh-huh. And I think uh, I would, so I would say, if you're going to do this, just commit and read the whole thing. Don't do like I did and only read the two, <laughs> first two volumes. Um, but they're, uh, also, it should be noted, like, they're pretty quick reads. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, like, how long would you say a volume took you? Well, this is, volume one was 135 pages. And, and I think volume like two is about another hundred, maybe an hour. So yeah. like probably two hours. And I was and I was writing a long synopsis. So yeah, things slow down when we write our synopses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about a couple of the characters. Uh, phone Bone first, kind of the. I mean, the series is called Bone. He's clearly the main character of the Bones yeah. that we have. Uh, even as the other ones maybe caused more mischief and caused more plot to happen because uh-huh. of their schemes, he is. I'd say the central one. When they get separated, we follow him, not the other two. Sure. So, if we were going to try and summarize Phone Bone. <laughs> I really like Phone Bone. I don't know what there is to say that's, like, so remarkable about him. He's, he's sweet. He's a good guy. <laughs> he's sweet and, like, he's simple. And he loves Moby Dick. <laughs> and he loves Moby Dick. <laughs> and he wishes everyone else understood how great Moby Dick was. <laughs> In some ways, that almost made me think of, of like any geek culture when you're really into something. Yes. And you, and you want other people to appreciate it, but no one is going to love it the way you love it. But you and just wish they could. I feel bad for him because every time that I've tried to do that... You can't make people like what you like. <laughs> no. It's just it's not an option. And I can think of like a few really embarrassing moments where I've really tried to force something that I really love onto somebody and it just doesn't work. I could, uh, that means this pop 
this podcast is maybe a bad idea, but... <laughs> <laughs> We're just talking about things we love. <laughs> I remember uh, showing some of the first season of Buffy, which is the roughest season, because their budget wasn't there yet. I actually really like the first season. Yeah, but, it, but, but like the effects and everything are rough. And I showed some of those first episodes to my wife, and she's kind of like, this isn't doing it for me. She really liked Angel. She watched all of Angel. <laughs> the spin-off show. But Buffy never did it, because I think some of those, yeah. those first ones. But it's kind of like, come on. Uh, like, we've all been there where you're watching a show or a movie with someone that you've, you know, and you end up watching watching the person's reactions more than the show because yeah. you're wanting them to have the same response you've had to it and it almost never happens. You know, I, the, the one that always stands out in my mind is um, Dr. Strangelove. <laughs> I showed Dr. Strangelove to my family and they were like, this is not funny at all. <laughs> they were, How dare they? My, How dare they? <laughs> I know. My, my, mom was, my mom was not excited about Dr. Strangelove. <laughs> she did not think it was nearly as funny as I did. <laughs> I think it is on the list to get to. It's in our. It's not in a scheduled pile. It's in the to get to to talk about pile. It's a pretty funny film, but (laughs) it's not funny for everybody. (laughs) Uh, And Moby Dick is, I'm I'm sure, a great book. I have never read Moby Dick. Uh, Sorry, phone bone. I've I've read it because I had to do a bunch of American lit. Is it your favorite book of all time? Certainly not. (laughs) (laughs) It was my favorite book in my American lit class. Really. Yeah, we did the American Wow, you must have had a rough American Lake class. No, we did, like, we did Mosquito Coast, and we did Catcher in the Rye, and we did Huckleberry Finn, but we got to Moby Dick, I was like, this is the one I'm liking. I, wow. Like, I dig this. Okay. I don't but understand. part of it might have been because I read Bone earlier. <laughs> <laughs> wanted to like it? Like Moby Dick. <laughs> you want to like it because you like Bone? So, but back to Phone Bone, I, he really is, like, this kind of simple, benign character I really yeah. like him. Yeah, and there's not, like you said, there's not a whole lot that you can point to and say, this is what makes him a great character, but I just, I'm happy whenever I read about it. <laughs> you know? I, I read and his, like, innocent crush on, on yes. Thorn, and, you know... I'm, it, like, really hoping that that works out for me. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, okay, so in the synopsis, uh, there's the shirtless honey hunk who, yes. like, flirtatiously offers, you know, Thorn, like, this this chunk of honey. He's like, fine, I'm gonna go get one. And he climbs up this tree to get it, <laughs> And the bee that is as big as him comes yes. by to defend it. And then the next thing that we see of him is he's covered in bee stings, but he's carrying a chunk of honeycomb. And he's so excited to go see her. And he goes and she's like canoodling with, with the honey hunk. And he, he's like, Ugh. you know, and just embarrassed. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I really like it. I said like there's the, his innocent uh, love for her. I, I think innocent is a good way to describe him in general. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's just a good guy who's kind of naive and innocent in this world, and he's been thrust into this adventure that is so far beyond the scope of anything he has yeah. really engaged in. Uh, but it, it makes him a fun character to see at the center of all this madness. Yeah. I mean, we do get the sense that he's res- he's the responsible one. He loves phony. And and is, they're cousins. Yeah, he's like kind of trying to help him, but he's also like he doesn't want to be an enabler, <laughs> but he also doesn't want to see phony like get strung up by a mob, <laughs> which has happened so multiple times. He's almost. trying to he's trying to like keep that balance. Yeah, and, and he, he doesn't get involved in the schemes, but nor does he, you know, rat out the schemes, really. Yeah. So you can almost say that is enabling, to the, but he's not going to be, <laughs> you know, he, he's not going to be the stool pigeon. <laughs> yeah, he's, he, his version of it is not like, I'm going to go tell the authorities, it's I'm going to tell you, phony, stop doing this, stop doing this, stop doing this. Yeah. Which, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm interested to see how the rest of this pans out. But, uh, but yeah, I really like Phone Bone. 
All right, let's talk about Grandma Bed real quick. She's one of my favorite characters. Because <laughs> <laughs> she she's drawn as, like, the classic old lady who is uh, wearing, like, an apron all the time. Uh-huh. And, you know, ready to... But then she fights off, in the first volume, we didn't get this in the... She fights off a bunch of rat creatures. Uh-huh. She seems to be a very capable fighter. And she runs miles and miles every day. Yes, she's to train for the cow race. physical shape. <laughs> To train for the cow race. And there's some history with her and Lucius and the dragons that we don't know about yet. Yes. Which, it's just so great that she is the iconic image of a grandma. Get that in your head, that's Grandma Ben. But she has this crazy backstory that we're only getting hints about at this point. I really like her. Alright, besides Grandma Ben, who's a favorite character of yours, Todd? It's hard. It's kind of hard to pick out, like, a a great standout character. Yeah, it's kind of like what we talked about, Princess Bride. I like Thorne. I think she's really interesting. I'm interested to see where she goes. It's interesting that Ted, the bug, immediately thinks of her when he sees Bone, and he says, you need to talk to Thorne. And you think that Thorne is going to be some, like, lord of the forest. Or or the Obi-Wan Kenobi, like, wise old sage. Yeah, she's just this little, I mean, not little, but she's just this adolescent girl and I, it, I don't know what's special about her, but it seems like there is something special about her. That she has, she has these dreams. Uh, she lives with her grandma. Um, she has some kind of past that we don't know about, and also a future that she right? doesn't there's, know about. There's this turning thing that we don't know. There's lots of mystery surrounding her. Um, I really like her. And it's, uh, one thing that's really interesting is you're kind of told, like you said, from Ted the Bug, that she, she's the one that can help you because she knows things. And Bone knows there's a dragon, and he mentions the dragon door, and she's like, there's no dragon. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, um... <laughs> I've seen this dragon several times, and, like, even, at, like, I think one time when he's doing this, the dragon, like, pops his head out of the well. Yes. <laughs> and, like, is looking at Bone, and he's like, there is a dragon, and, and she's walking she away. And, and the dragon just kind of winks at him. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Ted knows the dragon. Ted knows the dragon. Does he? Yeah, and he he doesn't tell Bone about the dragon. Yeah. Um, The other thing that I like about Thorn is that she really loves Phone. Like, she really likes him, and and she's concerned about him when he gets hurt. And at the end she says, she says something like, you know, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna leave your side again, or something like that. I'm like, oh, I really hope that they, (laughs) that they can, can fall in love, and like, because I really like her, and I really like him, and, and I can see how much he loves her. And and I think, oh, there's potential there, but it's hard to imagine a girl. Because <laughs> as, as Bone says, I know I'm short and bald and have a big nose, well, like, but I like you a lot. A doodle. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a doodle. Yeah, he's a doodle. She's, she's a real, I mean, she's she. She's a human. She's a human. <laughs> and to think that she could fall in love with a doodle is... Did you establish the size differential? Oh, she's much bigger than he is. Yeah, he's a doodle that, like, is kind of, like, dog-sized. <laughs> like, yeah, think like, of a big dog. Like, like two her shins. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, I think he's clearing her knees in, in the, you know, when they're sitting. is so top taller. Yeah. Well, well okay. Smiley's tall. Smiley is the, is the tall, yeah, thin yeah. one, because he's goofy. He, he is, like, the goofy compared to Vicky. That's kind of the Smiley versus uh, Bone. See, but there are humans in here that are very short. This little human guy here, he's about half the size of Grandma. Um, and then there's Lucius, who's huge. But hunched. <laughs> yes, but hunched. He's waist, he's waist high to her. And some... But he, he has very large muscles. Which one? Uh, phone. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he shows his muscles to, to the honey hunt. It's like an inflated balloon all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
so strange. I don't know how that joke is going to carry over to our listening audience. <laughs> well, so they're at the they're at the fair, and he's in this. He's a, he gets in this argument with the honey hunk, and the honey hunk um, says, "Oh yeah, what do you think of this?" And he and he flexes his muscles, and then. <laughs> And then Bone flexes his arm, and he has this huge, like, cartoon muscle that comes out. Uh, and then, <laughs> and then Tom's eyes are like, "Whoa!" <laughs> Can we? But, uh, yeah, he's like half the size of of, of uh, Thorn. Yeah, waist high. Can we also talk briefly about the rat creatures and the two? Oh, so, yes. So most of the rat creatures, we get the sense, are kind of like an orc army, where yes. there's, they're all just monsters and there's no personality, but there are two that are constantly separated from them and are having these conversations. <laughs> and the one always wants quiche. The one just wants quiche. Like, uh, <laughs> and what, you know. Uh, Which, honestly... I can't uh, blame them at all because I love me some quiche. So there's one point where they're, they've been separated and they're foraging for food and the other one that seems to be a little more competent than the goofy one that wants quiche finds a bird's nest with eggs and they have this it's a really great comedically timed through the art of comic book panels uh, the timing gets established of them like throwing the eggs into their mouth and having this conversation back and forth and the one has been warned not to talk about quiche and the last uh, next to the last panel is the one saying, we could have used these eggs to make a quiche. And then the last panel is uh, the other one has stormed away and the bird's nest and the broken eggs are on the one that talks about quiche all the time. It's, it's on their head. And it's one of those things where it makes me happy to read comic books when I see the way the pacing of reading panels can lead to humor that doesn't really... You, you, it works because it's a comic book page. And I don't know how uh, it would be translated. It would still work in other forms, but it would be a different kind of humor that gets established. Yeah. Let's All talk right. about Phony. Phony is the scoundrel. Yes. But he's the lovable scoundrel. Not like a Han Solo one, but like an he's incompetent. Not that he's not he's an incompetent schemer. <laughs> <laughs> right? Where he gets these grand schemes that are very self centered, they are solely for his own benefit. And but you kind of enjoy seeing him set it all up, but you also enjoy seeing it backfire on him. That's interesting how everything goes so poorly for him because apparently at some point Things went well for him because he was, he was a, the richest bone in Boneville. Yes. And... <laughs> Did he get rich by building a... Uh, or uh, he was siphoning funds to build a school playground on a nuclear waste dump? Yes! <laughs> yes. <laughs> and this is another one of those things. They talk about a nuclear waste dump back in yes. Boneville. Where I don't know how this world is in all... This, like, they have Moby Dick. Lord of the Rings, like, <laughs> fantasy world. But you have the Moby Dick. Did we say that about Phone Bone? His favorite book is Moby Dick. Yeah, we, yeah. we talked about okay. it. Yeah, so you have Moby Dick exists in this world. There is a nuclear waste dump back in Boneville yes. <laughs> where Pony was trying to build a school playground or something. Um, you you have bugs of different sizes that are brothers, like some are giant, some are regular. You have a dragon wandering around. Like I would not be surprised to see anything basically get introduced into this world and treated as though that's just the way yeah. this is. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, but yeah, so Phony is a... He's a total scoundrel, and it's funny to watch his scheme just like come down around his ears. And when Lucius gets onto him and bets the farm, he's like, "Oh, his face! <laughs> I cannot cover this." <laughs> and then he, he runs and jumps in the suit. It's just—it's like mayhem. It's yeah. really—it's—it's it's, uh, madcap. Let's also talk about his right hand man, Smiley, <laughs> who I think Smiley would be anyone's right hand man. <laughs> Like, he's just happy to help anyone. Yes. Uh, he doesn't have his own schemes, but he will help with whatever he's asked to do, basically. Except he's not really very good at helping. <laughs> no. <laughs> and, the, and that very last, that epilogue thing where he's, they're fixing the, 
The roof. The roof, and, and Lucius is just beside himself. He's so mad. Because he's asking him to hand him a single shingle. Right? Give me the shingle. Yeah. And, and he keeps going on these tangents. Uh, Smiley's pretty fun. That's I, have a, a, I have a question about Phony. Because, like, obviously, this is a problem. Like, his... His behavior. His behavior. Yes. So, like, like, what is his problem? Like, what's his issue that causes this? Like, what's his motivation? Because if, if he was the rich, if he was the richest yeah, like, bone mill, why like, does he still scheme? Like, yeah, like, what, what is the flaw that is making him do these negative things? It's... Perpetually. <clears throat> it's interesting, as we're, we're thinking about these characters as, like, platonic ideals of characters. It's almost like... Does he need a motivation besides, <laughs> like, I am a scoundrel and this is what I do? Mm-hmm. And um, even if I've, if one has worked, I'm still going to do another one. Right. Yeah. Because that's his shtick. Like, that's just, that's what he does. And Smiley, I can see the same thing. Like, Smiley is just a goofball. He's there to be along, like, be a, a sidekick. And he's sort of the Jar Jar Binks of, like, <laughs> you know, like, he's always messing things up and but in comedic ways. Where where I wonder how well that holds up is with phone. Like, what is the ideal? Like, what is... I don't see... You say he's like the Mickey Mouse, uh-huh. but I don't... Like, can you, can we flesh that out more? Okay. Because I mean, we also need to acknowledge Mickey Mouse has a crazy history of different versions of Mickey Mouse <laughs> that have existed. Um, I'm thinking more of, like, the most recent versions of Mickey Mouse for kids, where it's Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. Todd, you yeah. have young children. So you see that? Yes. So he's kind of the glue. And now, thank you, I have that song stuck in my head. <laughs> Go ahead. No, you just said it. I don't even want to. Oh, no, let's hear I'm it. not going to do that to please, my listeners. Please, please Todd. Also, we don't have the legal. Oh gosh! We have we can do it if anybody comes after us. We can do a hot dog, hot dog, hot diggity dog. Do you you want to do the goofy dance? (laughs) (laughs) The shoulders bouncing whenever you hear that. (laughs) So glad that we're in the same room so that I can see actually see you do that. That I do a pretty good goofy dance from Mickey Mouse Club. No, but like oh toodles! Gosh, Uh, but he's the glue that holds the group together. Uh, and some of those episodes, he's a remarkably egotistical piece of glue. <laughs> where, <laughs> where there's one one Mickey Mouse Clubhouse episode where he sends his friends on a scavenger hunt to find the great prize, and the great prize is fireworks that make a Mickey Mouse face in the sky. <laughs> um, uh, there's a little self center there. Put Mickey Mouse Clubhouse on the short list. <laughs> <laughs> no, but. Uh, uh, if we think about them, I mean, in this article that you read or chapter that you read in this book about, about Bone and these uh-huh. three, like, um, archetypes of characters, I, it's easy for me to see that Phony fits into that. It's easy for me to see Smiley fit into that. It's harder for me to see Phone fit into that unless he's just, like, the straight man. The good, the good guy that kind of holds the, the craziness happens around them. Yeah, so, I mean, it's like straight man, funny man, right? Yeah. So he's the straight guy. Uh-huh. He's the... Costello or the Abbot? I don't know which is which. <laughs> I can't remember. Okay, well, here's an interesting. Or the Laurel thing. and the, the uh, other guys. The Hardy. Which is the, uh, there's the one Marx brother who is one of the Marx brothers, but he never does the goofy things. Oh, Zeppo. Zeppo, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's just like, shows up when they need a fourth that guy. Phone, like, phone is just, he's a straight man. And so. I don't, I don't but at know the same that. time, he's at he's the core. You know, he's at the core of the story. This is following Phone more than the others. Yeah. Okay, so Moby Dick follows Ishmael. He doesn't get involved in any of the craziness. He's always on the ship when they send out harpooning teams. 
Like, is is Phone Bone the Ishmael of the Moby Dick that is Bone? I don't know uh, Moby Dick well see, enough. See, I would have to have read Moby Dick. <laughs> I don't remember it well enough to so be able to make... I'll a... throw that out as my theory. <laughs> okay, that, I like it. Is that... Because Ishmael is telling the story, like, you know, call me Ishmael sure. and all that stuff. But he joins the crew and... He obviously doesn't die. And, is, yeah, <laughs> and, and he's like... He knows the crew and he tells the story, but he doesn't, like, go out and stick a harpoon in a whale. Okay. So it's happening around him, and he's kind of benign in what's going on. Okay. Yeah. He's uh, just doing a job. He's just there. One thing that this is, uh, the way we're discussing this, it makes me think back to uh, our While You Were Sleeping, when we played the game Actor or Reactor. <laughs> 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 or no, that was our, our Hunger Games, I think. Well, we did it for both. Agent, agent or not. Agent yeah. or not, yeah. yeah. Uh, and we, I think we can say this about Bobo. He's not an agent. Like, he's not going out and deciding what happens next to the story. Right. He's just reacting to this crazy set of circumstances. At most, you could say his sweet. agency is saying that he wants to go back home, but he's not really working to go back home to no, Bone, he's though. sweet and he's lovable. None of the Bones seem, like, that interested in getting back to Boneville. Well, they just got run out <laughs> by Lynch Bob, apparently. like, hey, it's not Boneville, but it, it'll do. What does yeah. it say? Yeah, that's exactly. It isn't Boneville, but it'll do. Uh-huh. So, yeah, he doesn't seem extremely agentive to me. He's just as nice and lovable and cute. Uh, I think... And I think that's one reason why we're struggling to, like, identify his character, because he's not an actor in that he's not making the decisions that drive the story. Right, so what's his motivation? Like, he's in love with Thorne. And Uh, he wants his cousins to not be in trouble. Yeah. And not cause trouble. But he won't really stop them from causing trouble. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the most he does is say, hey, don't do that, that's a bad idea. So, I mean, it would be, it'll be, it would be interesting to me... Uh, reading further along to see uh, if there's a turn at any point. Yeah, if there's a turn at any point in which he becomes more of an agent, and perhaps in pursuing Thorn. We see him writing the writing the letter, but he also signs it anonymous. Uh, yeah, right? your secret admirer. Your secret admirer. <laughs> she's never going to figure out who's short, bald, and has a big nose. <laughs> <laughs> that has to be the title for this episode, right? I'm short, bald, and have a big nose. Yes. Thank you for <laughs> thank you for giving me a title. <laughs> So, I don't know, I really like him, um, but he doesn't seem like a terribly complex character to me. No, I don't, I don't think so. And, and I mean, this is kind of like we said... So with, far, not terribly dynamic either. No, uh, this is kind of what we said with Katniss Everdeen. Like, we like her, but she's not really <laughs> choosing her own fate. Sure. She's reacting to situations around her, and Phone, I would say, even less <laughs> reacting. Yeah. He's just kind of along for a ride, not even reacting to try and save himself almost. It's just... You know, the raccoons just come, grab them, and take care of it. You've read this all the way through. Yeah, but it's so, been a while since I've read the latter. But do you yeah. remember, is there a change in Foam Bone? Does he become more I don't, agentive? I don't, I don't remember. He's not like... I don't. He doesn't like end like up in a suit of armor. and a tail at the <laughs> no. end. And, no, I no, think he's... But he... <laughs> I just imagine now like an armored bone carrying a sword and a shield <laughs> <laughs> marching into battle. I mean, is this like a hero's journey where he... Goes through crisis and then comes out I like, want to illuminated s- and better and returns to Boneville and he's a Jedi and like everybody. I think the change happens to Thor, not to Bone, if I'm remembering yeah. correctly. Okay. Like, he's the vehicle for a story about Thorn and, and all this crazy backstory with dragons and yeah. Grandma Ben's so Thorn shady really past. Is the protagonist of the long but arc. If I, if or, I or at least the dynamic picture, character in the long arc. But okay. if I try to picture the whole story, like, told, like, from Thorn, like if, if the if they tell the whole story behind Thorn instead of behind Bone, 
I'm not as interested in reading it. Really? Like, it it seems... Because the story makes sense. I mean, this is maybe another way to get at the question of how much agency somebody has in a story. I don't know if agency is the right word. But how well does the story work if you pull that character, if you pull Bone out of this? So as as an observer, if he's Ishmael and he's just sort of observing and telling us what's going on. If he's not there, I don't know who it's following. If it's following someone else, then he's not there. See, well, and also, like, it, like if you follow Thorn, then you don't include Bone in the story because he isn't that much of an agent. Like he doesn't progress. Does the, the story still make sense? Can you tell this story without Bone? You just erase him from the story. The narrative, and yes, tell it like but I don't from, think it's a, from the point of view of Thorn, and the story still makes well, sense. Well, because he, he still a story, but I don't think it's interesting. But he introduces like so. We know one thread of the story that's being introduced here is the rat creatures chasing phony bone. We don't right. know why yet. So does bone matter to that? Uh, does phone bone matter to that? No, no, not really. We have this crazy backstory of Thorn and Grandma Ben and Lucius, where it seems like Grandma Ben and Lucius had some adventure Thorn with dragons. Have anything to do with that? Nope. Uh, but it, but it's it's like those are the intriguing things that you are going to drive you to buy, read the next section. Right. It's not Bone. At, at most, you'd say Bone and Thorn's relationship. That's the only thing that's driving right. you to want to know how that turns out. But like the mysteries that are being introduced are about these other characters. Yes. Which is, I think, really interesting. In Moby Dick, is Ishmael, if you pull Ishmael out and you just tell that story from a different point of view, does the the plot, like, it doesn't fall down at any point. Because he's no, just an observer. He's not responsible for where the plot goes. He's he's the narrator. Like, yeah, maybe interesting. Like he, he didn't have to tell it as his story. He could have told it as a story. Right. And, you know, and had it be neutrally placed. So you could have, like, omniscient narrator... Or like the or tell the story yeah. of Moby Dick, or like the Ron Howard film based on the story that inspired Moby Dick, the in the heart of the sure. sea. Was that? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I imagine that's basically this. It's the Moby Dick story, but without Ishmael, without all the narrative trappings of uh-huh. of the Moby Dick. And I think the narrative trappings are significant in in Moby Dick and in Bone. Yeah, like I think the narrative structure around Phone Bone improves it. Yes, and there's something so appealing about Bone too, as like as, like just the doodle. It makes you happy to see that doodle. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like they've said, uh, like, w- Mickey Mouse's face, like, the shape of those three circles together, it is appealing to kids who have never seen Mickey Mouse before. Sure. They have a reaction to it that's positive. Yeah. And I think the same thing is true of Bone. Like, there's Absolutely. just a positive reaction seeing this doodle with these crazy eyebrows and those little black eyes uh-huh. and this giant nose that's all white and plain. It's just kind of appealing. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> nice contrasted And contrasted with this beautiful fantasy world. Yeah. I think. Like, really detailed fantasy Yes, world. yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I just, it's an interesting way of thinking about storytelling where perhaps the most important element in the story is not an agent who's, like, driving the story along, but just, uh, like, a lens. And the, the lens is what makes the story, it takes it from, like, this is a cool, fun fantasy story because... People, I mean, if we had one dollar for every single person that's has like the great the next great fantasy novel written in their on their computer at home, like <laughs> it's not that hard to write a great fantasy story. I don't think. I mean, a, 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 to follow a hero's journey, yeah, to, to do a fantasy story that would be pleasing to people who read it, yeah. 
uh, I don't think would be impossible, but to, but to get it to this level where you're winning like, you know, 50 Eisners and, and it's one of the greatest comics of all time. And, and it's kids not, are reading it for decades at yeah, this point. It, 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 it has to do with like the lens that we're looking at the story through. Does this, are, are yes. we, I, so I'm getting like a new theory. Something's percolating. <laughs> so Scott McCloud in Understanding Comics talks, talks about. Struck my brain. <laughs> So Scott McCloud in Understanding Comics talks about like Mickey Mouse uh-huh. and the and the symbolism of simplicity and the simplicity sure. of a face and everything. And as you reduce it, instead of being you know like one person's face or a male face or anything, it becomes your face. Uh-huh. It doesn't become all faces; it becomes your face. And he talks about you know Mickey Mouse having that kind of symbolism. All all you have to do is add the two circles of the ears, and you're Mickey Mouse. Sure. And so Bone has that same kind of simplicity. And I think what Bone does, what Phone Bone does in the story is it becomes you in the world, which is what draws you in so fully. Like, you are suddenly, you are Phone Bone. He's so blank yeah. that yeah, you can paint yourself. Like, and, like, that's why you're so, it's so difficult to describe his personality. He has enough positive qualities that you're okay identifying with him and no negative qualities that you want to disassociate from and enough blankness yes. that you can say, no, that's me. And that's both and visually like and that. the characteristics. Yeah. Yes. And so all of a sudden you're inside the story. I like your theory. Yeah. And so it's drawing you in, in a way that's so much more attention grabbing and deeper. Yes. And I think that's one of the reasons why you talk about it, like this rich detailed world. It's like, but it's still a drawing yeah. and it's not, and it's not, you know, a, a massively it's, detailed. It's not painting. a hyper realistic drawing. It's but not we Alex Ross it. or like yeah. you said, quietly. It's a, it is a cartoony detail world still. that we feel because I think it's pulling you in and mm-hmm. it's, and so all of a sudden, every time you see bone on a panel, it's you on a panel. And so you create the whole world in, in your imagination. And I think that's what one of the appeals of the narrative structure for Moby Dick is is when you read it, it's call me Ishmael and it's first person, but he's telling the story. And so all of a sudden, every time you see me, I, we, yeah. you read yourself yeah. onto the ship. I really like where we've landed with this. <laughs> I'm not sure where we were at the start of the conversation, but this, I think this, this is, is a good, good insight. This is good theory. Yeah. And I think it's even like we, we pointed out that bone, like he knows his, his cousin's doing something bad, but he doesn't go tattle to authorities. Because being a tattletale is, is yeah, bad to sure. some people. But warning him and saying, hey, this is a good thing. Like, that's something that is still positive enough, but it's not crossing any lines. Whereas going and telling on phony mode would be crossing a line for some readers. And it might start to create yeah, a separation. Yeah, he's a blank slate. And because he's a blank slate, then it's easy for us to identify and... And root for? Uh, yeah, and root for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I like it. Like, it's, it's blank enough for us to plug in. Yes. Yeah. I think that's we we need a wrap. <laughs> yeah, because we're not getting better than that. <laughs> this I, I I'll be honest. I was worried. Like, are we saying anything worth saying? But we did say something we, worth we saying here at somewhere. the end. Yeah, <laughs> it's so cool because even as you as you see him on the page, and I think it comes out even more in the color version that he is this white blank slate. Thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, on this in this beautiful rich world, and and it fits perfectly with your theory. Thank goodness for for uh, Andrew's theories. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> Do you have any final thoughts on Bone? Uh, I would. I just recommend if you have kids, get them reading this. But even if you don't, go ahead and pick this up for yourself. It is all ages for everyone. It's I delightful. thoroughly enjoy it. 
Yeah. yeah, I loved it. I would, um, I would love to finish the story. Yeah, as soon as I picked it up to reread this for for this podcast, I was like, oh, I got to read the next one now. Consider the considering the novel reading that we have to do for the next few months. I don't know that I'll be able to finish Bone anytime soon. But, but it's on the to do list now. It's definitely high on my list. Okay, that wraps up this episode. Thanks for joining us. Please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in iTunes, and please leave us a review there. Uh, links to things we've talked about in this episode are at protagonistpodcast.com. That's also where you can find a list of all of our shows. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at protagonistpod, at Todd K. Mack, and at Jay Dorowski, producer Andrew, uh, our, the contributor of all great theories, <laughs> is at Andrew underscore Dorowski. Best inside of this episode, by Yes. <laughs> And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonist podcast. Uh, and that's where we have great discussions, uh, of following usually our episodes, sometimes, uh, in anticipation of, uh, if you like the show and would like to support us financially, there are a few ways you can do that. If you want to buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a monetary donation, you can click the support link on our homepage or go to patreon.com slash protagonist. Finally, don't forget to sign up for a 30-day free trial of Audible.com by going to audibletrial.com slash protagonist. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character and a great story. So long. So long, and thank you, Producer Andrew. It is introducing demonic possession into your nasal passages. Oh man, it is so good. <laughs> Just the regular, like the Himalayan yeah. neti pot at the at the sunshine market. It's really good, and they have a little oil that you can put in it. And oh man, salt water. They have salt, and you you, you you so you fill it up with like warm water. Yeah, and then you put a little scoop of salt in, and then you can also put a couple drops of this oil in it. And it like it is the most unnatural thing ever done to a human body. It's so I'm good. Sure. It gets the the water going all the way up and around and out. Yes. <laughs> you hold it up, and, and like, you gotta get like the weirdest thing. Like, so like you get like you, you try three head. angles and it doesn't work, and you're like, way. I'm just gonna drown. I'm gonna drown right now. From yeah. The salt water. Well, you have to, it takes practice. Like the first the first few times that I did it, it was not pretty. Yeah. But once you get like you get to a point where you can feel it going in. And then you can kind of just adjust your head to like make and you sure find a way for it to go up and around your nose. It goes down your that back of your throat. It was awful. When like yeah. yeah, yeah. Holy cow! It just clears everything. This is it a lie. Really it does bad. not clear everything. No, it's it, so good. It and I'll tell you what, it's the best for is allergies because, like, you go work in the yard or something on Saturday, and then even if you take a shower, you still got all that crud up your nose, and it makes you have a miserable night. But if you rinse out your nose like that, then you just sleep like a baby. I, I really can't get over the fact that you're making a deal with the devil to do it. Because <laughs> there's no way water should do what it does. <laughs> what do you do with Neti Pot? <laughs> this is unnatural. Uh, it's amazing. <laughs> Neti Pot. <laughs>